Just a few film nerds breaking out of a rut Drooling over cinema that's hard and uncut Stick us in your ear, thrill to this month's picks And come and listen in, we're measuring flicks Hello everyone, welcome back to Measuring Flicks. I'm Carl Hartley. And I'm Max Peterson, and you're listening to part two of our discussion of 1971's Two-Lane Blacktop. If you missed part one, um, what are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> you just, go listen to that. Yeah, whatever feed you're in, it's the episode that immediately precedes this one. Um, so go and check that out. Uh, this is this is kind of, I feel like our, our conversation here is kind of in the same territory as like Straw Dogs, sure. Hunger. This is just one of the longer ones that really warrants a good hard look especially as it seems to tie into four other movies that we watched. no absolutely and i think that has a lot to do with the amount of conversation being had is because this is creating so many connections with sort of our journey with measuring flicks i mean right. we are making connections to flicks we watched all the way back in season one right we're talking again about sam peckinpah we're talking yeah. about roger corman and his early work um, so it, I think the first 40 minutes of part one is like tying Tulane Blacktop to like all these other flicks that we've watched and to a, a very specific time in American history. Mm-hmm. So if you want some of the historical context and some of the cool, like, um, tiny connections between filmmakers and, and stuff like that, yeah. all of that's in part one. So go check that out. I would like to start part two by reading. A we should have show notes to point people to the episodes that we're referring to just as a, just as a thought. It's not a bad idea. Like yeah. uh, over on like the Quill and Film page, like yeah. if people wanted to go to the website to find the episode, I can include. It'll have the episode on top, and then underneath, I can cool. include like a mini blog post where it's like we talk about this here, this here, this here. This might be a good first one to do. Uh, uh, do you have your notebook on you or your notepad or I, some way to take notes? I got. It. Okay, you just remember and tell me at the end like everything we talked about, all the biker <laughs> movies. Yeah, remind me of everything we said, Carl. <laughs> Um, Damn it. So I want to. <laughs> I know. I feel like we should have a third person, like a silent third person who just like writes down like t shirts. We ideas. did in season zero for three episodes. Was it? Your brother in law. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Alan, Alan just like hanging out. Alan and kinda... hanging out. I was like, you're wrong on that one because you'd have like IMDb up. <laughs> Fact checking shit. Yeah. Oh, and Gabe did that one time too, yeah. which was probably <laughs> scarring for him. <laughs> oh, hey, Dad. Hey, Dad. Uh, you guys are wrong about all the details of everything you said. Shut the fuck up, In Gabe. every episode you've ever done. <laughs> I've been going through IMDb, and that's not even the right director that you guys Dude, said. I don't even know if you guys are actually watching these movies before you talk about Also, them. I didn't want to say anything two hours ago, Max, um, but you didn't hit record on this <laughs> one, so nothing <laughs> nothing you said has been recorded. Like, <laughs> I just looked at the task. I, as soon as you like, pointed, I was like, fuck, did I really? <laughs> We're good. We got a solid okay, red. Good. Excellent. Um, so I want to start this part two by quoting again. First of all, I guess we should say in Thank between you. episodes, we uh, we poured ourselves some cocktails. Carl's drinking a uh, uh, eight year aged Barbancourt Rum and lemonade. Fuck, it's delicious. And I'm drinking an Evan and Lemon, Evan Williams and lemonade, because I got lemonade in the house. So I'm just like, Evan's my favorite fucking. It's good. Like, yeah, it's good, good sour go-to mash. Mixer, it's like a, for sure. If you don't want to do Jack, you do some Evan. And it's cheap as hell too. Any bourbon drinker out there who's like, <laughs> man, Woodford's breaking the bank. Well, first of all, why are you drinking Woodford? Yeah. Okay, it's good. Listen, it's Let's good. It. I'm not going to take anything away from Woodford, but get Evan Williams if you're just making cocktails with yeah, him. Who gives a shit? Um, but I wanted to quote from an essay that I we did read a little bit from in part one. So this essay is called Slow Ride by Kent Jones. It's in the insert, um, like the, the little cool booklet that you get with the Criterion Blu-ray edition of Tulane Blacktop. 
I think you can probably find the essay online if you get a chance mm-hmm. and you like this movie or are curious about movies from this time period is very worth your time. So, to quote from uh, Mr. Jones, Tulane Blacktop, 1971, was, to quote screenwriter and former Time critic Jay Cox, easily the best of the, quote, odd off-pitch movies that followed in the wake of Easy Rider and were immeasurably superior to it, end quote. Just as The Heartbreak Kid, made a year later by Nichols's old partner Elaine May, was immeasurably superior to The Graduate. In Easy Rider, the fabled road equals freedom, befouled by ugly Americana, another big theme. But in Tulane Blacktop, it becomes something altogether different and far more interesting. A repository of dreams and fantasies for squares, hipsters, and obsessives alike. Where Hopper's film is set in the great American dreamscape, Hellman's vision, Hellman being the director of Tulane Blacktop, Hellman's vision of the American West is far less pretentious, parceled, parce, parceled out in nicely measured, seemingly offhand portraits. Where Hopper wears his hipster credentials on his sleeve, Hellman obscures his and even tones down his well-made soundtrack choices in the mix. Where Hopper and Fonda play disenchantment and disaffection, offset by Nicholson's authoritative charm, James Taylor, Dennis Wilson, and Laurie Bird are three non-actors who embody a sense of youthful restlessness, offset by Warren Oates' heartbreakingly eloquent woundedness. And where Easy Rider is finally a series of choices and strategies and inventions clustered around a big thesis, Tulane Blacktop is a great film devoted to nailing the particulars of something far less likely to launch magazine think pieces or talk show digressions. It is a movie about loneliness and the attempts made by people to connect with one another and maintain their solitude at the same time. An impossible task, an elusive dream. Wow. Dude, once again, people, if you like movies and you are not like doing shit with the Criterion Collection, you're messing up, man. The Criterion (laughs) Collection shit is so good. It's unbelievable. How many spines do they have now? Like 800 or something? Get in it's there. insane. Do you remember, like, one of the... Carl and I sometimes have trouble with Criterion shit because Carl will come over to record an episode and I'm sitting on the couch watching a special features document. Remember Hunger? Yeah, we watched the rest of that yes, hour dude. and 40 minute documentary about Michael Sands and the yes. IRA. And, yeah. it, was like, it was like 9 a.m. muster. You get here and you're like, all right, dude, let's. I'm ready to go hot on Hunger. And I'm like, Carl, I found this documentary on the second disc. And we sat and watched like an hour. It was probably an hour. It was, yeah. We watched like a straight hour about the IRA. We're and, like, crying at the end of it. Sob- we just get- sobbing. And it shows up on the episodes, but like the Criterion editions of shit take up time because yeah. there's so much good stuff. Um, speaking of good stuff, so I read that little bit, and that what I just read will will kind of dig into, uh, or will will start applying to some of the stuff that we talk about going forward with Tulane Blacktop. But I also thought this was pretty goddamn cool. It's a bulleted list by Richard Linklater. 16 reasons I love Tulane Blacktop. Holy shit. Here we go. One, because it's the purest American road movie ever. Actually, how about we do this, Carl? Tell me, give me, give me an impression as we go through quick ones. Sure. Just, I'll tell you something. You tell me what your response is to this, knowing that we're talking about fucking Richard fucking Langley right here. So what do you think? Purest American road movie ever? Can you think of a road movie that that is more American. The only one I can think of that's in the wheelhouse is Easy Rider, but I think this one kills it. I mean, this one kills it. I mean, it's hard not to, to put Road to Paloma up there for me, actually, because we, that was part of that whole discussion yeah. when we watched that flick. And I, this was... Uh, but I that's had, not as pure as this. That does have a little bit of the WWE uh, studio stank on it, where this doesn't. A smidgen. 
Because there's like a there's a hitman on the you know there's some, there's, some goofiness to there's it. There's compromises that that movie had to make because of its small budget. Exactly. And I think that that's what we, I had a real hard time with that. Do I like this movie better or is Road to Paloma like of the two my favorite? I st- I do think it is probably Road to Paloma, but mm-hmm. it's hard to say. Right. Two. Because it's like a drive-in movie directed by a French New Wave director. We just, we said we that, said that on the, the last one. show. <laughs> um, three, because the only thing that can get between a boy and his car obsession is a girl, and Lori Bird perfectly messes up the oneness between driver, mechanic, and car until she doesn't. Until she doesn't, and then she bails out. But she's done enough damage. We'll get that out at the end. Yep. But she's done enough damage just by being there. Exactly. That uh, that the the price changes at the end. Four, because Dennis Wilson gives the greatest performance ever by a drummer. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, with <laughs> the caveat at the end. Be like Richard Linklater, guy. I'm like, Oof. you're a director, man. You did Scanner Darkly. Like he did uh, direct. <laughs> Nose grab, shake, dude. Didn't he do Dazed and Confused? Was it Dazed and Confused? No. Uh, is it Fast Times at Ridgemont? No, Never that's mind. not him. Don't worry. Off, off we go. <laughs> Five. Because James Taylor seems like a refugee from a Robert Brisson movie and has the chiseled looks of Arto from Dreher's The Passion of Joan of Arc. Which okay, he was just being silly there. He was showing us. He's showing off. He's showing a off. Bit. He's like, I know about Robert Bresson. And have yeah. you ever seen The Passion of Joan of Arc? Well, fuck you, Richard Linklater. That, Not really, that though. seems we a little like Linklater way at wagging his dick around. Just a little bit. And it's a glorious dick. Yeah, it's we, a beautiful penis. Nothing to take away from no. Richard Linklater, and we're going to watch but that. But I have to Google this, everything he just said, so... Well, no, you won't. Just wait till December. We're doing The Passion of Joan of Arc oh, this year. that's right, we are. Yeah. Um, six, because w- there once there was once a god who walked the earth named Warren Oates. Well, I've only n- watched this film. Have you seen The Wild Bunch? That is... Uh, Peckinpah. Sam Peck- Peckinpah. Peck- Peckinpah's hyper-violent western. We should do that sometime soon. Yeah. <laughs> um, seven, because there's a continuing controversy over who is the actual lead in this movie. There are different camps. Some say it's the 55 Chevy. Some say it's the GTO. But I'm a goat man. I have a GTO. 68. Nice. So do you think the cars are the lead? I would actually disagree with this. I, I almost... I'm going to go headier than Linklater. I'm going to pull out my film film analyst dick here and say that I think that the, the lead in this movie is the representational cinematography mm-hmm. which i know is like so fucking meta it's almost makes you want to puke <laughs> yeah a little bit <laughs> I'm sorry well i was gonna so say that it's the me. road right it's the it's the it's the trek from the gas station where pinks are mentioned to dc is the main character the journey is the lead mm-hmm. interesting Interesting, Carl. Now, yeah, that, that's right link later we can be heady and highbrow yeah, too right. buddy eat my beautiful penis I just love Richard Linklater so much that I like have to yell at him. <laughs> I know. Um, eight, because it has the most purely cinematic ending in film history. Without without any spoilers, I'm I totally agree. The ending of this is where most of my twenty minutes of audio notes come. It's like just the last like ten seconds yeah. of this movie. It's kind of unbelievable. It's an art house ending for sure. <laughs> it is definitely. It's 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 poetic, man. It's that was so the word poetic. come bubbling to the surface was poetic. Nine, because it's like a Western. The guys are like old-time gunfighters ready to outdraw the quickest gun in town, and they don't talk about the old flames they've had, but rather old cars they've had. Mm-hmm. Which, yep. yeah, it's two episodes of me just getting chills. Yep. <laughs> Ten, because Warren Oates has a different cashmere sweater for every occasion, and of course the wet bar in the trunk. When he, I love his wet bar. He busts that bar out, dude. I was like, where is this uh, salt shaker half full of cocaine and his uppers and downers? 
So we can't stop here. This is bat country. I know, dude. It's like all but Hunter S. Thompson, who, man, just lot, this is a weird recursive conversation where kind shit of. keeps coming up. 11, because unlike other films of the, era, of the era, with the designer alienation of the drug culture and the war protesters, this movie is about the alienation of everybody else, like mm-hmm. Robert Frank's The Americans Come Alive. Once again, he's talking about some, I'm sure, brilliant movie that I've never right. seen, but... But no, but the thought is there. We actually kind of mentioned that a little bit, in, where it is set in the middle of, we still four years left in Vietnam, right. but we're... We're not spending any time at all or even indicating that that is a thing that's occurring. It's almost like seeing the effects of Mm -hmm. this like weird shifting drug culture and the Vietnam War on people who are not closely tied to Exactly. The the people on the outskirts of that whole... The broad-reaching effects. Exactly. Um... But it's still having an effect, which is important as well. Yes, seeing the seeing like aftershock mm-hmm. effects. It's like where the it's not the huge it's rock the that fell into the pond. It's the ripple of the ripple of the ripple. Right, right, and and seeing that in the context of a road race is it's cool. pretty it's incredible. A, it's an yeah. interesting perspective. Twelve, because Warren Oates as GTO orders a hamburger and an Alka Seltzer and says things like. Everything is going too fast and not fast enough. He does have like he's got some nuggets. I think that you think they gave Warren Oates all the all the best lines because he's the the one who's an actor. Well, possibly, and that he may be the only one that actually remembered his dialogue. Fun fact: Did you know that <laughs> Hellerman only gave them the script for any given shoot the night before the shoot because, in his words. You wouldn't know what was going to happen next week in real life, so right. I don't want you to know what happens. And I'm like, when you and because been... there there aren't uh, because there isn't so much dialogue. Yeah. You're not you're not memorizing Shakespeare overnight or like these huge, pining monologues for the road. Or... Right. I think. Did you know that they shot? First of all, they shot this movie in sequence, so everything shot in order. I dig that. And yeah. he actually took them on a road trip across the country. That's so they shot in like Needles, Arizona, over to Oklahoma, cool. over to. The cast hated that. They did not well, like you it. You can tell they get, they get a little war, <laughs> little road worn by the end of this movie. And this, here's the weird thing. And you, I think I like how you said art house about the ending because really this whole movie feels kind of art house in that way. Because yeah. he's doing gimmicky shit like not giving his actors their lines until the night before and literally trekking them across country. And you see the wear of that journey on them as the film progresses mm-hmm. because they're actually going through it. Which lends a really cool verisimilitude to their performance. They're actually exhausted. The girl is actually exhausted and bored and kind of over this shit. Yeah, and James Taylor's fucking his lines up because he doesn't know what he's supposed to say, which is what the driver's and feeling too. he's not a trained too. actor who can do that. Who the driver also isn't. Like, right. In this weird fucked up way, like all these weird directorial choices that ha- very much have this flavor of like art house perfectly you say warren the... was a theater director first warren oates warren not warren oates i'm sorry the the director of the of the film uh hellerman um hellerman there, there was someone that, that had their start in theater he monty uh, not hellerman hellman i'm sorry, sorry. um uh, monty hellman was a da, 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 after establishing a solid track record as a stage director yeah, okay he uh martin landau in that introduction, makes so much fucking sense man he, he did uh, in 57 he did a really great uh, uh, waiting for Godot. Waiting apparently. for Godot. Right. Um, and then he his next thing after after the fifty seven Waiting for Godot is Beast from Haunted Cave, nineteen fifty nine under Roger Corman. Under, under Corman. Okay. So, dude, you can see theater and Corman clash and yep. you get Tulane Blacktop. Yeah. It it makes total sense. In man. a fucking strange way, it like further cements my love for Roger Corman. Mm-hmm. You know where you're. 
not to raps, rhapsodize about the genius of Corman, but well, like we're both on record as loving. Yeah, we fucking love Corman, him. So. But like when when people are like, "Oh, Roger Corman, he's that goofy guy." Every time I hear someone dismiss Roger Corman, I want to sit them down and show them X the Man with X-ray eyes because mm-hmm. I'm like. Okay, I get what you're saying about Corman, because look, man, I've watched yet like fucking Caged Heat. That movie's not awesome. I've watched though it is the terror. You know, like oh, do you want to hear a fucked up thing about the terror that I never knew? Did you know that the terror? Oh, is it in there? <laughs> yes. Oh my god! Yes, here I'll read you another quote, uh, listener. I'm telling you, just because I want to give the dude credit, because I am sure. reading uh, "Slow Ride" by Kent Jones. Look it up. Producer Fre- quoting here. Producer Fred Roos, then developing properties for legendary producer exhibitor Robert Lippert, saw The Terror and inquired as to its true directorial provenance, because famously The Terror was like cut to shit and and re-edited. Corman got the credit, but according to Hellman, he was himself responsible for about a third of the film, Corman for about half, and the young Francis Ford Coppola for the rest. Jesus Christ. We watched The Terror. That movie sucks. That's one of the worst things I've ever seen. However, it is a riot to watch. Yeah. It's so fucked up that it's just like, it's amazing. Like, The Terror is one of those, we talk about There's bad- There's a witch out of nowhere. <laughs> people, people jumping off cliffs. Getting their eyes ripped out and then falling off cliffs. That I'm not sure that was a dummy. I think they killed a man. They might have been a murder on screen in The Terror. <laughs> Jack Nicholson in like a weird French Napoleonic cap. He's got like a tricorn on at one point. People walking into the ocean like in genuine choppy seas. Dracula shows up at some (laughs) point. Watch the shit out of the Jack Nicholson keeps pointing his gun in his own face. Yes, he's just like, he's carrying it backwards like, all right, if anything happens, I don't want to be around for it. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, God, if there's a ghost, I'd rather be dead, you know? (laughs) He's got his revolver up his nose. Oh. Yeah, it's a, weird, it's a weird movie. Yeah, well, two, two lane blacktop, about 50, 60 bucks on eBay. The Terror's like 50, 60 cents anywhere you can find it. Worth watching. Yeah, and it comes with 50 other movies, yes. generally. <laughs> if you, if, listen, listener, if you're one of those who, like like Carl and myself, if you like a little bit of weed with your flick, The Terror's a, a good one, one to smoke Watch up Watch it for. with at least three other people. Definitely. It's drive anger. You need people and and either drugs or alcohol and it will just become one of your favorites. Oh, this this speaking of which, this drink makes me want to become an alcoholic. It's <laughs> well, dude, once once uh once we get caught up in June, we'll start that tiki train back up and then every episode will just be like fucking Charlize Theron such a good actress. She's really yeah. I like Atomic Blonde mostly because all the vodka she drinks. It's just every episode is us talking about just the drinking in every picture we watch. I didn't really like uh, Citizen Kane that much. There wasn't what, not enough nearly drinking. enough drinking. <laughs> uh, 13, because it's both the last film of the 60s, even though it came out in 71, mm-hmm. and also the first film of the 70s. Yeah, that's pretty you, cool. That. Wow, in that weird estuary period. That is kind of the subject of the film, it's too. It's almost like that uh, uh, liminal space between... The... It is a... Wow, first use of liminal in several episodes. Yeah, I know. Way to get that in there, guy. Uh, you know that... Uh, and this is... I'm continuing from Richard Linklater's list. You know that great era of how the hell did they ever get that film made at a studio slash Hollywood would never do that today type yep. of films. Yep, yep. This movie doesn't get made today. Oh, fuck. For it, it does if you're if you're like Jim Jarmusch spending the next four years making it on your own and 
financing it yourself and having Tom Waits in it, and I don't know, but I, th- I, I don't think it's Unless A24 still... gets their hands on it. This is, yeah. this is this is in their wheelhouse. We have to <laughs> readjust a little bit, because it there are definitely we're modern... We're coming back around yeah. now. I feel like we're coming back into that sort of, not Miramax golden age, but more this... Nicholas Winding Refn kind of made a similar film recently. Drive. Yeah. Drive mm-hmm. is another one of those really kind of slow-paced atmospheric flicks. Out of control. Love it. Yeah. I hate how many people don't like it because they were expecting Fast and the Furious and instead they got Tulane Blacked Up with with a with a lot more violence. They just don't it's like people that don't like the movie history of violence because they don't understand what that is. The his, or anything that fucking Yeah, history of violence is a really so good movie too. I think we're doing that this year as well. We are. I, yes! Dude, it's such a good season. We're almost done. Yep. Four, 14, because engines have never sounded better in a movie, and I can't I can't argue with that. The, mo- not counting motorcycle engines, because let's be real, okay, Road okay, to okay, Paloma okay. sounds pretty fucking great, but there's something about that. These purr, and they chug, and they cough. They sound just right. Yeah, and and just wrong enough yep. to sound good sometimes. I'm, I'm, yep. I would agree with that pretty wholeheartedly. 15, because these two young men on their trip to nowhere don't really know how to talk. The driver doesn't really converse when he's behind the wheel, and the mechanic doesn't really talk when he's working on the car. So this is primarily a visual, atmospheric experience. To watch this movie correctly is to become absorbed into it. Yep. That I cannot. When you're on medication, it makes it sleepy. So, listener, um, we're officially advocating that you just go off your medication. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, don't do that. Don't do that. But no, yeah, noted. That's I guess that is an important thing to keep in mind, but. But I'm, it is. There's there's not a lot of talking. Mm-mm. It's not like Valhalla Rising. No, no, no. Levels it, of no it's, talking. It's but. not boring. And I want to come across as that, that I think this movie's boring because it made me sleepy. It's just there are long spaces where no one is talking, but yeah. important things are happening. Definitely. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's that's exactly right. Like no one's talking and nothing seems to be happening, but important but everything things is happening. happening yeah. Right. Sixteen. Final one. And above all else, because Tulane Blacktop goes all the way with its idea. And that's a rare thing in this world. A completely honest movie. That's a great way. It's a completely honest movie. Yes. Yeah. Yep. There's no real artifice to this film at all. I mean, it's 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 art, but it's... Right, right, right. No, I, I understand what you're saying. There's no, hey, let's put this in here because wouldn't that be cool? Right, yeah, yeah. There's there's nothing in here that feels like a like a crowd pleasing trick. There are cool moments in here, but they are earned. They're earned. Yep. Um, they come they come by it honestly, which makes it the honest honest picture. picture yeah. yeah, dude, Criterion. It's the kind of movie where you call it a picture for Christ's sake. Well, we started out by being Carl and I watched a film. Yeah, exactly. Um, what do you think? So it's, it's it's graduated to picture. It is now a picture, a picture yeah. film. Isn't that one of our categories? I think so. Outstanding yeah, drinking in a picture, picture film, film or whatever. Yes. <laughs> um, dude, Warren Oates' driving gloves are such a great detail for GTO. Because the driver doesn't have gloves. The driver doesn't have his like driving his pants special kit. on. Yeah, yeah. It's You know what that reminded me of? The because transporter. Of, no, I'm kidding. Because well, no. he wears his driving gloves, because that's part of his operation and his whole he's so meticulous about his his method. Those gloves are part of his method, and I love that as a detail for. Who are we talking about? Jason Statham. Oh, oh, in the, so transporter. In the transporter. I was like the driver. It makes sense for him, but what what the driver? Because I noticed it right away that he had those stupid fucking brand new driving yes. gloves on, and it reminded me of of um, 
like back in the day when I used to play pool and would be in like pool leagues and shit. And you would have the dude with like the balabushka and the fucking and the glove and everything. I was wondering if it was going to be you. I'm glad that you said no, it's the not, dude that. No, the, the, but they were always kind of just, they're in the same league that I am, which is like, it's APA fucking like bar league. Like, <laughs> who gives a shit? You might go to the green room in Vegas, maybe, as one of thousands of other people. Sure. But you're not like, you're not the color of money. You're not fucking Fast Eddie <laughs> Falston, right? You're not yes. knocking down 15 tables in a row right. playing nine ball. You're scratching on the break just like everybody else. Go eat a dick. But you've got your $500 pool cue and your fucking shooting glove. The dude who shows up and opens his case yep. to screw his stick yep. together. And I'm grabbing the straightest stick I can find off the rack and maybe chalking up my hand. Right. <laughs> That's a bit that, you yeah. know, but that reminded me of that. I'm like, oh, I know exactly who this dude is. He's yeah. the dude that spent $500 on a pool cue and has the glove and is playing in bar league. Right. He just spent $6,000 on an off the line. Yeah. 1970 GTO, for example. He's got his driving He's gloves. Yep. One of the things I love about it's a guy on the fucking Honda. Like, yes. Yeah. It's oh, see, see, see episode one. Um, but, uh, the the driving gloves to me when he one of the things we never what do we never see G, the GTO do never does a quarter mile against another car Mm-mm. what but literally to even make it across the country they're in a race and to just make enough money to keep racing the long race they have to stop in towns to drag like that's a driver yeah this is a race car this other thing is I don't know what that is you know this is that's fantasy fulfillment that's like wishful thinking that's wake waking a waking dream you know mm-hmm. but like the guy who's actually working as a driver he doesn't wear driving gloves why do you have driving gloves on what do you do are you are you drift racing with your gto no dude you're you're just you're cruising along take your gloves off wouldn't you be more comfortable how much do those cost you? What, you what are you doing with those um so this during the race the i would say the tone of the hitchhikers changes a little bit it does because Conversely, this is this is an interesting moment in this movie where we get the cowboy. Um, and it's um shit. What's his face? Uh, from Alien. He was in the last movie we watched. Hold on, his name is. He played the sheriff. Is his name? Here's the here's the oh hitchhikers. My God. Bill Keller, H. D. Stanton, Alan Vint, uh, A. J. Solari, and that's all of them. I think no. it's I think it's Bill Keller is the. Is the Texas hitchhiker? Oh shit! Uh, he looked just like the dude from Alien, the one that gets eaten. Not John Hurt, but the other one. The first one. He was in fucking Christine. Yeah, yeah, Played yeah. The... He, oh fuck! He was the old. This is great radio, right? Yeah, well, now. he was the old. He was the guy who sold it to him, right? No, the back brace the guy, the detective, the detect. Oh yeah, not him. It's not mm-hmm. him. Is the one him? that grabs his leg. Yeah, yeah. I, thought I don't it think for it sure is was him. him. It looked just like him. It guys. Look up him and see if it's the guy we're talking about. <laughs> Let me just IMDb him. Him. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess it was him that played bo- all, both of the ro- I don't know, man. Probably not. I don't know. It's we're The gonna detective s- from Christine. Yeah, we're going to say for... Oh, wait. Maybe I have his name in the notes. Vamp for a second. So it's not him. It's not. Clearly. If it was, it would be Harry Dean Stanton. Harry Dean Stanton. Which it's not. It's not. No. Fuck. Sorry. Looks like him. It does. A little. Is he one of the first ones he picks up too? 
The cowboy? Yeah. No, it's the first one that he picks up after the race. Oh, starts that's right. Because he's racing. And they're driving through the night. And he, oh, he's like, I might need somebody to be a, a second driver. Right. And he's like, mind if I, mind if I, you know, make myself comfortable? Yeah, no, go ahead. Sure. And the cowboy leans back and he kicks his legs kind of out. And then it's it's really interesting because you see, through, just because of the dash lights, you can see like a hand, the, the cowboy hand kind of like slip across that center console and rest on his leg. And I think Warren Oates' response is pretty interesting mm-hmm. because... This this moment could have gone two ways, and I the way that it went to me is the more interesting choice, which is Warren Oates says loudly and firmly, but doesn't he doesn't scream, he doesn't shout, he doesn't swing on the guy, he just says, "I ain't into that." Yep, that's it. And the the cowboy goes, "I, I, I thought I'd help you relax while you drive," and that's it. That's it. You know, and he says, I, "I'm pretty sure the second line that Warren Oates has is." Um, I'm racing, man. I don't have time. I don't have time for distractions or something like that. Yeah. This is a race. And in 1971, there was a. We've seen other movies from this time period mm-hmm. where this could have been the guy gets a real moment punched in the jaw or yep. dragged out of the car or ejected from the vehicle, which is interesting because he that actually does happen later. Later on, he tries to do that, but then walks that back too. Mm-hmm. And I just I, I wanted to see what you thought of this this moment. How do you read this? Because the fact that this this guy goes for a physical interpersonal connection, mm-hmm. and in some weird way, because we see you get the sense that Warren Oates would totally have just let it let it go if it was the girl. Oh yeah, Laurie Bird, who oh, yeah. who they'd seen you know seen earlier at the gas station when she jumps in the car. He's basically like, put my tape in your right, slot. Like, exactly. He's right there for it. What kind of music you went to? Exactly. So, so like this is, I, I think it's kind of interesting that he does set like a personal parameter, even Mm -hmm. though he's like devoid of personalities. I ain't into that. No, 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 we're not doing that right now. We're we're not doing that. Okay, we're that's not how this works. I'll keep driving. I'll keep driving. I'll take you where you're going, but don't don't do any more of that. Thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, I I admired the film's restraint, and I thought it was very in keeping with the Warren Oates character. And this is this is kind of straw dog's territory because like because he's showing restraint in an age where what just happened would usually not yeah, garner exactly. restraint from a a leading man character and that's just one of the side effects of a 1971 yeah. well film. that's to the movie's credit right and Absolutely. My, whole, my thought on that is when i saw that it's projected a little bit as soon as the cowboy starts to stretch out i'm like okay this is about to get extremely awkward, and we're going to be in that territory right. of homophobia and that whole 1970s I braced for thing. it as I well. I braced for it. And the fact that the movie um, didn't go down that road, it was addressed. Yeah. I ain't into that. I ain't into that. And, and that's it. It's it's firm. Yep. But not not even necessary. It's not even mean or cruel. No, not it's at just, all. He's definitely setting a line. He's like, I ain't yep. into that. But that's, that's it. Yep. I admired that handling of that moment and i even like the moment later um when he's uh trying to to get him well he's out of the car and he's in the rain right and he's like you can't just leave me out here in the middle of nowhere yeah and uh, we will revisit this because of a specific um kind of match cut cinematography that happens but later on that we do come back to the car and it's stopped 
and he the driver uh, GTO is trying to kick the cowboy out of the car because the cowboy has gotten fresh again. Mm-hmm. He's reached over and touched the guy's leg again, and he was after made, he said no. After he said no, which is now this is fair to like absolutely. You have, now you need to leave my vehicle. I said that I didn't want to do that. You did it again. Get out of my car. Yep. And it's raining and it's dark, and they're not near a city. So the the cowboy's like, you can't kick me out here, man. Like I'm in the middle of fucking nowhere. It's raining. Please don't kick me out of the car. Please don't do this. And in the way that that scene resolves, you're ready to like watch the GTO drive away from the guy that's left in the car. But I wonder what it says about that character and the metaphor that he's standing in for that he doesn't kick that guy out of Mm-mm. the car. He says, "Next town we come to, you're, you're out. out." And it's then a big thing for him to do huge. that. Huge. He's, he lets him stay in the car until he gets him somewhere Cause, safe. Because at point the the second time he's he's literally assaulting him at that point. He's, yes, he has made it very clear. Yeah, not to touch me. He so said, he had every right to leave this person absolutely. on the side of the road. I'm not positive I wouldn't have. Right, you know what I mean? Like that. I said no. You're still doing it. If I let you get away with this, what does the third What's time next? look like? Yeah, is there a third time? If so, what, what am I up against there? Right, get out of my car. But. You but know, he like, doesn't. He's a, a next town then. And I, gets him back in the car. It's little moments like yeah. that that GTO would be such an easy character. And, oh, absolutely. And I did r- kind of rail against that guy in the first episode a lot where I was like, you know, weekend warrior. And there's a there's But an there's a human nature to him as well. He is a person. He's just trying. He's on his own journey, man. This, like trying to figure out what he's all about. That, the same way. Exactly. The same way that Honda Goldwing guy is not. He's not bad because he's didn't give up his whole life to wrench on a shitty bike and right. putt across the country he's not a bad dude he's just he's missing out on an on a romanticized authenticity that right. we're looking at in this movie but seeing the human side of gto there's little flashes of who he really is mm-hmm. outside of the stories and this is one he's not the kind of guy who will kick a dude out in the middle of the night in the middle of nowhere in the rain so we know that about him and when he's in that authentic space, uh, in a little bit here, actually, yeah. when he's in James Taylor's car, and we find, okay, so he's got some tragedy behind him. And I think that in a weird way, that moment when he starts giving his possibly, we don't know, but it feels true. Yeah. He's like, you know, things were really rough at home, and the wife, my wife left me. And, and James Taylor goes, I don't want to hear it, yeah. and cuts him off and he's like, because he's driving. And in a weird way, the person who we end up like feeling... The person I end up feeling the most sort of like distaste for by the end of the film is the driver mm-hmm. because he's so devoid of humanity that you realize that this. I come around my hero at the end, not hero, but the person I come around the most for is GTO by the end of this. By the end of the flick? Yeah. I don't like him either. The person that I kind of ultimately feel the most for is I feel I feel for the mechanic. Yeah. Because. Yeah. Because he's kind of, he seems like a guy who lives in both worlds, but he's so tied to the car that as James Taylor... He can't get himself out of that. Yeah, yeah he's stuck. He's getting dragged down in a weird way by the very end of the movie. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the movie, like, it's a, it's a well-oiled machine, you know? It's the car, the driver, the mechanic, and it works fine. Lori Bird comes in and kind of reminds the Dennis Wilson right. character of what human connection's right. like. And then you see him pulled in two directions. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I think Lori Bird is ultimately the one that I empathize the most with because she's been stuck on one bad trip after another. And in a way, that's very representative of how I feel as a 30 year old person in 2021, which is like I got on this train and that didn't pan out because it was built on on something that wasn't real. I mean, this is more like American cultural commentary. But how many times have you like 
hitched yourself to a subculture or, or zeitgeist because you believed in you believed that it had a strong core that could carry you and then you find out that it's all just gossamer built on fantasy yeah. you're like oh wait wait we're all acting well most of my hobbies are built legit they're they are fantasy well that's board games and stuff i mean like um how many times have you been like yeah man we're just gonna live like the hippies oh sure yeah, you, yeah yeah and I then got you, you look into the hippies and you're like oh but yeah, actually that movement collapsed because it was it was built on fallacy okay well it kept having to pull over right exactly on its way to the grand canyon exactly or like tough tough greaser character or even like 80s corporate business mogul like that model ultimately collapses as well and you realize like all of these different dreams that you hit yourself to where you're like this is my this is who I how I define myself we well, can't define yourself externally right because nothing can bear the weight of the totality of the human being you can't define yourself by one limited set of ideologies or, or ideological structures it's gotta be open to the experience man you kind of do though yeah. you know but like yeah yeah and like that's that's the Lori bird character she tries the hippie trip and it doesn't pan doesn't out work. so she tries this other trip and it doesn't work out and the worst part is by the end she jumps on that dude's motorcycle and there's not enough room for her baggage so she leaves her baggage behind and takes off on the back of this bike and unfortunately carl in season two we did those movies and we know how that story ends too she did not that trip is not going to pan out for her not well this is it's one of those weird it's not weird but it's one of those things that you encounter in movies from the late 60s and early 70s in the height of the vietnam war is no one really has an optimistic ending in mind all of these movies end with like well it's hard to imagine it unless you're in high fantasy or sci-fi exactly. even those were very bleak yeah, until dude. like star wars like well i mean post vietnam when do you get when do you get um, Starship Troopers? Not the movie, but the book. The book, 1960-something, like, right? And then the movie came out in the early 90s, right? Late, mid to late 90s. I was in the military again when that came out. So that was 97, I believe, when Starship Troopers, the film, came out. Right. So that book comes out. You said the book comes out in like late 60s I think late 60s, like 68, 69. That's Philip K. Dick, right? No. No, no, uh, no. That's... um. Shit. Not Frank Herbert. Hey, Bird, can you do me a favor? Will you look up um, Starship Troopers, the book, and tell me when it came out and who wrote it? That's the nice thing about having birds yeah, office yeah. across the living room. Um, and I'll pop an ear off. So just let me just shout it out whenever you know. But that book is essentially about a fascist dictatorship or a fascist government where military service is a prerequisite for citizenship. Yep. And they send published in 1959. So that is a response to the Shit. Second World War. Yeah. And who wrote it? Sorry to yell in your ear. Robert L. Robert L. Robert R. Heinlein. Robert L. Stranger Heinlein? in a Strange Land. Yeah. Fuck. So, as a response to World War II, Fuck. but like even science fiction around this time, a lot of it is centered around how the levers of power exist to shove, to shove like poor people essentially mm-hmm. into war. Kind of like Ender's Game and. Anyways, well, yeah, yeah, but like even sci-fi can't escape this weird kind of bleak outlook. Yeah, and I think, I mean, in '59, the first Trinity nuclear test is 1945, 45, 40. When was Einstein alive? Yeah, yeah, long time ago. But the the (laughs) the Trinity nuclear tests, I think, are 43, and then like you got Hiroshima and Nagasaki in like 44 or 45. After that, you can kind of see why even science fiction and fantasy would become doom and gloom because right. suddenly you have like 
a, like a literal possibility of apocalypse on Earth. For real. For real. Yeah. And then through the 60s. Another, here's one thing we didn't talk about at all. This is the height of Vietnam, yeah, but this is also hot off the tail of the Cold War. This is post-Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm-hmm. This is post one week where America wasn't sure if it was going to be there the next morning for like seven days in a row. You know, like yeah, we had subs heavy, parked off the, the fucking, fucking heavy time period in yeah. American history. Speaking of like nihil, like a nihilistic or sort of bleak ending that a lot of the movies from this time period have. I have a note here. I I said, you know, I wonder if our heroes are going to lose. Because the fantasy that the middle-aged man has bought must needs be fed off the blood of someone else's dream. The magic made cheap and flimsy in the watering down inherent to weekend warriors with store-bought track cars, no real identity outside of them. A movie about the dying American heart, the true, genuine, exchanged for the shallow flash. Mm -hmm. And... It's around the time, like, because what do we keep seeing? We see the driver get sidetracked into drag races. We see them pulling over at gas stations to repair this vehicle. And what do we see the GTO do? Just keep on driving. Yeah. He doesn't have to stop. He doesn't have to worry about money. The only thing he has to worry about stopping for is he doesn't have a second to, you know, so he can sleep. Right. Yeah, he doesn't have a backup driver, and that's what's going to cost him is his aloneness. Mm Mm-hmm. But he, even the driver and the mechanic, you know, they're kind of, even though he technically has a backup driver, the mechanics, you know, I'll relieve you in six hours. Right. I feel good. I, I can feel do good. it all I can do it all day. Stretch. Yeah. And you're like, so you're not going to utilize your, out of some what, machismo or some like or sense. Or that he maybe can't. A sense of identity. Right. Yeah. Like what do you, what's the driver like when the driver's in the passenger seat? The driver doesn't sit in the passenger seat. That's your answer. I'm the driver. You're the mechanic. He doesn't belong there. And that rigidness so of ideology is what's going to destroy him. You know, it's got to be flexible. Be like water, my friend. Be like water, my friend. Exactly. Um, so now I want. Now well, let's talk about some. Slow down. <laughs> no, I'm like right around the same area you are, which is probably why I'm like, who wrote fucking <laughs> Starship Robocop? I want to kill the bugs. <laughs> Killing bugs. We're going back to pee. <laughs> That might be one of my favorite movies. <laughs> we should do that for the fucking Dude, show. Dude, we should do a Paul Verhoeven triple feature and do Total Recall RoboCop and Starship Troopers. Oh, he did RoboCop too. Yeah, man. Oh my god. Dude, we should. And Showgirls. But we don't have to watch that. We can do that as the last one. That's my that was my bait and flick for a couple <laughs> years. <laughs> Get Danielle and Bird on for that. Be like, what do you guys think of Showgirls? Okay. Can you can you p- you pick the scene where you think that my balls came out of my pants? <laughs> All right, whenever you think I started touching it, you pause. <laughs> you pause. It's really, it, you would be correct. Play, pause. And you're like, that's, <laughs> that's, cor- the, that's, that's right. correct. That's right. Now you just leave it paused for the whole rest of the movie. My God, if these, if those VHS tapes could talk, that's the one thing that I love about VHS is they tell a story. It's like a well-worn deck of cards. You can tell which cards the person liked to play the most. Sure. Right? Because they're worn a little bit more. What? Yeah, Magician's deck. What was your force card? Exactly. Uh-huh. Oh, it was a three because it's a little bit more worn. But with a VHS tape, you could always tell what the bait and scenes God, were because the tracking track was just a little in. bit off because the tape got stretched <laughs> when you paused it. Yeah. From the rewinding and playing, rewinding and playing. Why are those four scenes, though, the tracking is always fucked? 
fuck? Oh. Uh, American censorship. These four, the four hottest scenes are just like this mess of <laughs> snow. Yeah. Uh, sticky snow. <laughs> um, now that we've talked and about. And you get busted when your girlfriend would put the movie in to watch and it starts up at that scene. It's like, oh, yeah, I saw what scene you were on. Oh, so you only made it that far. I had, I had work. I had to go I to work. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, now that we've talked about coming on VHS tapes, <laughs> I have some highbrow thoughts about cinematography I'd like to delve into, Carl. <laughs> um, so we talked about this a little bit. I think it was in part one, actually, or in our, our first episode on this movie. The shot of the mechanic working in the rain, and it's, it's pouring. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty quick cut, too. It's like a smash cut into the 55 Chevy. And we talked, we talked about it because the driver is sitting, like, motionless. He's like an automaton that's wound down. Right. You know? And the mechanic is working feverishly, and you can kind of see Lori Bird running. But the thing that most struck me about this is the darkness of the interior of the car. It's black. It is pitch black in that car. And also, the rain is hitting the windows so mm-hmm. hard that there is no world outside of this vehicle. And the Next time we see out the window, the car's driving. The next time we see the driver moving, the car's driving. This is one of the most genius, simple, it's so simple. You just pour so much water on the car that it locks you into the uh, into the the cabin, if you want to call it that. You know, like seeing the driver sitting like utterly motionless with his hands in his lap, in this blind. He, the world he's dead to the world literally because I love the, that the, the he is an automaton who is wound down he he's not in action at this point right it's crazy man the next shot is even crazier because the next shot is a match cut into the gto same angle back seat nighttime pitch black this is where we get the uh, cowboy that's right this this is the second touch where he's going to kick him out of the car that similar shot of GTO trying to toss the hitchhiker for getting fresh again. In the previous shot in the 55 Chevy, the driver, the James Taylor character, is very clearly visible. He is a presence in the vehicle. You know what I mean? Like, we mm-hmm. see him. He's sitting in the driver's seat. That is James Taylor. He's motionless, but he's there. Even, even inside this, like, rain-blind, totally black car, the driver exists in the gto the driver's invisible the darkness of the car Mm. the way that the car is dark and they're parked on the side of the road and the car is again this is again a car not in motion so when the when the 55 chevy's not in motion the driver's in it but inactive and the gto is not in motion there's no driver in the car we see the cowboy hitchhiker delivering a monologue to black space on the left side of the car. The only place you see Warren Oates is his eyes in the rear view, which means that the only way we see him is literally in his car. Jesus. He, there, is, there is literally, visually, no identity. He is a non, he's non-existent. That made me sweaty. It's, this, so I told you I loved Tulane Blacktop the moment that Fucking Dennis, yeah, the, Dennis the and James look over and just like blankly stare at the dude and then look back out the front. I'm like, I love this movie. This two, these, this sequence of three shots, because there's one more that's going to come right after this, but this sequence of three shots is the moment that I started thinking of Tulane Blacktop, not as like an excellent film that I loved, but as a masterpiece as them, that was yeah. deserving of like actual study. Um, only his eyes literally in the mirror. He is the car. There is nothing to him beyond this car. And it's that, it's that 
perfect, disgusting alignment. It's it is. It's totally you can't. There's no two ways around it. The GTO character is gross yeah. because he's identityless. Every story, he's a test pilot. Hey, that's kind of fun. But I needed to get in my car. Okay, right. so it's your car. Like, I won this car in a poker game. I'm in a cross-country race in this car. Oh, I bought this car because I'm making a movie about fast cars. And you're like, okay, I get it. You identify with your car, but you're so hungry to learn something about the person. Yeah. But there's nothing, nothing there. there. Um, I really loved that. And then I, I thought, okay, cool. And then after that, we cut immediately back to, again, same angle, 55 Chevy driving. And now the windshield wipers are going and we can see the road again. Because we're in motion. Right. Yeah. And now, now that the 55 is driving, the driver has vanished back into the shadows. Because now, now he's part of that car again. Now it, well, when they cut back to the 55 Chevy, you realize that they've shadowed it in such a way that the driver has vanished again. James Taylor's gone. Right. It's just the... It's, it's fucking crazy. Because it's like when the car stopped, it's like... He like grows back into the seat and he's like doink and he's sitting there like waiting for the car to go. And as soon as the car goes, he just melts into it. Fucking crazy. Unbelievable. One of the most, one of the most seamless, beautiful. And that's why I pointed out at the beginning that Hellman cut it too. Cause the editing is outstanding. Um, I love that. And now that it's uh, talking about the automaton, now that the mechanic has wound the car back up, right. the, you know, like now <laughs> off we go. Oh my little, God. It's amazing. Um, so they, <laughs> they uh, when they drive with the, um, when they, the, they're driving past the cops or whatever, and the GTO gets pulled over, and then they, they pull up and they like kind of try and throw him under the bus to the cops. We're like, this fucking guy. Oh, yeah. He's I think been, he, he, he passed us on the right. He's been. Did we hear it in the trailer? We did, right? Yeah, it was in the trailer. They're like, man, officer. And it's James Taylor. So, like, the delivery is not man, that great. Officer, he was. This guy us passed us on the, the right, right like five, six, five, six miles ago. He must have been doing about 90. He must be on something. Yeah, this is a pretty good delivery of what he did. Bye now. And then he goes back to the car or whatever. He kind of like smiles at Warren Oates, and Warren Oates is like, you. Motherfucker. But there, I love that there is a little bit of a you son of a bitch. There is kind of a smile to mm-hmm. it. Where and I this is kind of the okay, so you, you wanna you, my knee jerk reaction at least the whole time is just to be like GTO is a he's he's like a metaphor for weekend warrior culture and this consumerist, blah blah blah. But this scene kind of shows me another side of this movie, which is he, he's dealing with the cops. Yep. And this guy's like really fucking with him in a way that might end up with him going to jail because this they're in an illegal street race. He doesn't even have the papers to his car because they mailed them to Washington D.C. Right. Yeah, to hold them for the race. He has no pink slip in his vehicle. Like he's in a tight spot. And in a weird way, this is around the time that you start to see GTO come alive mm-hmm. because he's he's brushing up against something true, something authentic. You know. Yeah. He. This is like if Honda Goldwing guy was like going across country and he accidentally ended up in like a group of Hell's Angels right. and then spent a weird weekend where they're like, hey, want to come do a drug deal? And he like did it. And then at the end, he went home to his wife and he's like, I just had the craziest experience. Yeah. And he would feel like exhilarated and you'd mm-hmm. feel engaged. And that's what happens because he catches them, gets them to pull over. See, this is what I love about this whole the resolution of this whole scene. They end up having like a like a. Like a cocktail a on the side of the... Yeah, they yeah. tailgate on the side of the road, basically. It's like, you sons of bitches, you fucking... You know, I could have been arrested and spent my night... 
You need a drink? I feel like I need a drink. Let's well, make some cocktails. They're yelling at each other for a second, and yeah. I can't remember if it's the driver or the mechanic. I think it's Dennis Wilson as the mechanic who goes, hey, you want to call a truce for a couple minutes? <clears throat> yeah. You want a hard-boiled egg or something? Yeah, he's like, you must be hungry. You want a hard-boiled egg? And he gives him... It's so fucking funny. He gives him the hard-boiled egg, and they're like... He, he like takes it and he like takes a bite and then he walks up to his GTO and pops the trunk and there's like a full picnic basket, yep. a full wet bar. And that's a comedic moment. But pop the trunk on the 55 Chevy. What do they Tools and tires. What do they have in their trunk? Exactly. And that is one more difference between GTO. He's got his wet bar and his yeah, do what I, toys. I've got some ice. I refuel. I I re, yep. restock my ice every couple of towns. And you you do laugh where you're like, that's so funny. He's got a fucking wet bar in his trunk. And then you think for a second and you're like, and that's why he will that's never what, yep. be. That's why he'll never be the driver. He'll always be the car. Yep. You know, I, I loved that moment. Um, I go and then with their I think it's Dennis Wilson is like looking at the engine because mm-hmm. they're kind of you know they're having a drink and they're looking and they at the car. Said they they drive each other's cars for a hot minute here is that when they they switch drivers for for a moment it's like let me drive her around for a bit well he goes there i have three lines back to back where yeah. they're, they're talking about the car because they're like hey man look we didn't think this race was going to be so hard this is pretty cool what do you got in there yeah this is this is pretty decent how what's your top speed and warren oates warren oates when he is like talking about his car he gives I think it's interesting that all the mechanics who go over to the 55 Chevy ask about they, the 55 yeah. Chevy. Everyone who gets into the GTO already knows the specs right. because, because it's a it's factory, a, it's a factory vehicle. build. Yeah, it's the there's that one there's a moment where Oates gets like irritated with a passenger because the passenger jumps in and knows a little bit about cars and he's like, "Right on, 70 GTO, that's a 454. What are you looking at like uh, 311 horsepower?" And Warren Oates didn't even know that much about his car cuz he just nods and agrees. He's like, he looks over kind of miffed yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's like, yeah, that's right. About three three eleven. <clears throat> like, oh, you already you know about my vehicle. Yeah, it's this, in the manual. Cause it's yeah, it's not a, it's not this is not unique. Sure, it's an impressive machine, but absolutely. But it there this is the difference between American individualism and you know like this is my car versus this is a car that I bought. You know. Yeah. I fucking love that. But his response to how how you know like what's your top what's your top speed? How fast you go? He doesn't know. So he goes, I go fast enough. And this is. This is good. James Taylor has some moments in here where he does good work, mm-hmm. and this is one. He, as soon as he hears "I go fast enough," his head's like, and he lasers onto GTO, and he goes, "You can never go fast enough." And like the viciousness with which he says it, it's almost insulting that someone he's racing would say, "I go fast enough." You can never go fast. Yeah, enough. he looks at him like, "What the fuck did you just say in my presence?" We're racing. I need you to take this shit seriously. <laughs> right. You can never go fast enough. Yeah, because you know what's on the line my entire life. That's the point. Yeah, the point of what we're doing here is that there is never a top speed that I wouldn't aim for. Like, what are you fucking talking about? I loved the violence of that. And then uh, he's talking about like picking up the hitchhikers, where he's like, uh, he's like, well, you know, you're probably gonna get tired pretty quick. I got a backup driver, and it's head games because we know that the driver's gonna try and go straight through. And Warren Oates is like, well, you guys are lucky because you've got. You've got him as a backup driver. You should see the stuff I'm picking up, or you should see what I'm picking up on the road. One fantasy after another. Come on. Come on. One fantasy after another. Warren, oh, it's like give you a big old hug, you man. Dad <laughs> died at 54 of a heart attack. No shit. Yeah. I don't know why that just popped into my head, and I was like, let's bring everyone down. Yeah, thanks for <laughs> Sorry, that. Sorry, man, but yeah, Warren, oh, it's gone too soon. Um, and I love this little line here, because this is where Dennis... 
or this is where the mechanic tells him like hey you've got you actually have some issues going yeah, on you got some problems in your you've been here. you've been running this really hard and you haven't looked at it or dealt with it at all so this is going to be a breakdown unless you get this fixed and he starts going like shit well okay all right how you want to do this um do you want to just follow us into town and i love that the gto guy is looking at the chevy as he says and I'll, I'll ride in the chevy i never rode in one of those things amazazing because it's it's another moment of the mask slipping yep you know where it he's sure like I'm is. a road racer and I drive and I was a test pilot and blah 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 but he's a little bit like not childlike it's like I, I, I kind of actually like to can it, have a seat do you mind if I ride I ride in your car never done I never been one I know I ride in the Chevy I never I never rode in one of those things and his such a cool true moment though it's it is cool you can see he's distracted so he's not reinforcing his lie he's just expressing his desire to ride in this fast cool this is the thing that I love about this whole movie this is a point where I, I started to really come around on this, this particular scene for sure. me. They're in a pink slip race across the country, and they're helping each other out. Where are they? Yeah, they are. Because they, well, I mean, well, I they mean, leave Warren O's pretty fucking hammered in the middle of the They field. do. <laughs> but, I mean, there there are moments where it's like, no, let's, let's your engine's going to be kind of fucked. Like, yeah. that's not... That's not fair. So let's let's follow us into town. Yeah, you can drive in the in the Chevy. We'll get you fixed up. And he does pass out drunk at one point. But it's his doing. It's but it's not his them. doing, yeah, not them right, doing right. it. So, and they actually get him in his car at one point when he's passed out. He's trying to steal a fucking license plate off of the one car so that they're uh, we can't get pulled over in Kentucky or whatever. I get real nervous. I get in this real part nervous. Of the country. Yeah, I love that line. Yeah. So he's he's passed out drunk trying to fucking scrape a plate. <laughs> They're like we we need to pick this let dude. you go to jail. Right. So, but they could very easily have done that and right. got to DC and picked up his pink and boom. But they don't. Well, car doesn't make it without him either. But like, sure, yeah, yeah. But there there are these moments where it's yes, they're in this race and yes, it's for pink slips and they have a lot more on the line than GTO does. But they aren't going to leave him high and dry unless it's something he's totally done, like getting himself completely fucking hammered. Right. But that, that help like tune up his engines. Like you're gonna make it about another sixty miles, and you're gonna not gonna have a, you're gonna blow a piston rod or whatever the fuck. And they take care of him. Yeah, it's the, yeah like camaraderie of the road kind of kind thing. of yeah exactly. It's like we might be in a in a battle right now, but I'm not gonna. You broke your sword. It's not a fair fight. Yes. Let's, get you, let's mend your sword, and then we're gonna go at it like like honorable. It's yeah, what exactly. they do is very honorable, and you respect them for it. There's no like. Ha ha! Fuck you! You just take advantage of a situation that's not right. They're like, they're like, we yes, we want to win. This is not how we want to win. Right, exactly. So, and I, I even think that like Warren Oates getting nervous and like continuing to just pound booze out of his out of the the boot of his car, you know, is it's kind. It reminded me of Mad Men. You know, we're like these, you've got these high powered like executives who are like, I'm doing million dollar deals, and then they get a little sloppy, you know, and. And the elevator's broken, and they're sweating up the stairs, and the big boss throws up, and you're like, you're like, oh yeah, like uh, Marlon Brando having a glass of whiskey, like a drink mm-hmm. or two drinks, and getting a little like angry before he goes and does something. That is one portrayal of drinking. That is this like romantic, right. throwback, black and white. James Dean had himself a drink. That's the idea of drinking. 
And then in 1971, in Mad Men, the TV show, and in Warren Oates, you see what that really looks like. You it's see not, alcoholism. Yeah, it's yeah. not it's not a tough dude having a couple of drinks and then going out to sort things. It's not a cowboy having a couple of shots and then doing a quick draw contest. Right. That's just the romantic idea of a man who can hold his liquor. That's not the reality, dude. You drink four, four bourbons, you're fucking, you're hammered. fucking hammered. And it looks, you look stupid. You fall asleep in your car. You say dumb things and you have to check your text messages the yes. next day. You slur and you sweat and you're laying in your car and someone's got to take care of you. And I love that they show you that. Yep. That rather than like, he's got a couple of drinks and it's just, they're going across the country. It's just to steady his hand. It's like, no, he's a, he's got a fucking problem. Mm-hmm. You know, and boy, that's, he doesn't, it kind of looks, it's hard, it's not fun to look at. Nope. You know, you're like, oh shit. Guy, you're in a race, man. You're like, you drank yourself it's into a car. not the nice rocks glass with Macallan 25 in oh, it. And it's not even, it it's not even the neat finger thrown back by a swaggering tough guy. No. It's like, it's just a sad middle-aged dude who got fucking drunk in the middle of a road race and might lose his car now because he's got to drive with a blinding hangover and no backup. Yep. I, I love it. The movie like swings back and forth for me between um, like really intense realism and that and like little flashes of romanticism and the realism kind of helps you know that what was that game like back break the ice where you're like we're trying to knock out like single yes. cubes that's how this movie feels to me you start with like a full clean plate of ice where it's like and that's this is the unbroken nostalgia of romantic america and then the, as the movie progresses they keep popping out cubes on you until like it's barely holding together it's like this fucker's shaking and then by the end, it melts from the yeah. fucking middle, dude. But it's you can see you can see the filmmakers every mile cracks the nostalgia a little more, erases a little piece of the mm-hmm. romanticism. As you get closer, as they get closer to Washington D.C., the capital, the heart of America, as they get closer to the true essence of America, the nostalgia starts to burn off like reentry, dude. Dude, it's that's amazing. One of the things I was just thinking about while we were talking too is Easy Rider. They're racing away from Washington. Yep, they're heading west. They're trying to go west, and they get fucking sucked down to New Orleans, and that's as far as they make it. Mm -hmm. So if you look at it as like they literally dive bomb straight down, crash and burn as they try and flee America. In this one, they get involved in a race back. They get involved in a race for America, and one of them is going to break up. And Ain't he, that America? And the other one, with what's really interesting, That's James Taylor, <laughs> <laughs> made in America, built for tough. tough, yeah, <laughs> like a rock. I think it's just car commercials oh, from here on in. Good, yeah, but uh, I, so <laughs> they're Ford heavy duty. They're kind of they're kind of racing for America, and one of them's gonna break up. In the in the race, one of yeah. them's going to burn up and die, and that's the end. That's the end of that particular race. And the other one, get maybe gets there, but is r- telling themselves delusions the whole way. It's a lie. Doesn't GTO pick up it. a couple of soldiers as his last? Uh, well, I can't remember if the soldiers are the yeah. It's the soldiers that he's talking to because yeah. they're like, well, t- well, tell me about your car. Tell me about your car. Yeah, yeah. They'll, they, that's the only time they were ever given a little bit of. They're like soldiers home on leave from 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 the war or about to head out. Right, and that's the uh, that's the famous, and those are those are pleasures that last, or, or, or that's yep. a that's satisfaction. Let me see. I got the t- Tom Waits quotes it, so we might as well. Those satisfactions are permanent. Yeah, that's when you get that, which is like. 
the, like one of those thesis monologues, yeah. but um, I love when they ride in the Chevy. Let's go back to him riding into yeah. town. So they're riding into town and he's riding in the Chevy. You almost start to feel for GTO because a, a little bit of the fire and dust has got on him. And, and he finds himself, once he gets in that 55 Chevy, this is truly, like he bought the GTO because he wanted to be driving in the 55 Chevy, but he doesn't have the time to build a 55 Chevy. He's a businessman. Right. Or whatever he He's does. on a two-week vacation. Yeah, he's a... got a little time off, but he's, so he's got his GTO. He's got it all cleaned up, and I think there's oil in it. Let's go, you know? But getting to sit in that 55 Chevy, I fucking love it because all of a sudden... It's not very comfortable, is it? No, but but he's giddy. In, yeah. Like, in the car, he's, like, looking around, and he's checking out the shifter and shit. And, uh, and he's just sitting on plate metal. This is... It's great. He gets to he gets to live his like his like uh, his like his road racer fantasy. fantasy. Yeah. And then my favorite, I can't, I don't think we heard we heard the second part of the line, but I don't think they put the first in because it's got a swear in it. But he goes, um, uh, he as they're driving, the driver looks over because Dennis Wilson, the mechanic, drives the GTO, and they're driving kind of like side by side ish, and the driver looks over and like gives Dennis Wilson the nod. And Dennis Wilson, like, ba-boom, floors the GTO and, like, gives it. And goes. And he's like, what? And the GTO looks oh, out the window and he's fuck. like, he's like, yeah, all right, look, you go, man, you got it. And then James Taylor just, like, shifts into third and puts the gas down and just, yeah. you hear that, like, spin That's, up in the engine. Yep. And it's just like, boom, and it just, you can see that <laughs> GTO fading. And I fucking love it because... Oates is like looking out the window and he looks over at James Taylor like, what are you doing? What the fuck are you doing? And then, smoking my car is what you So he doing. like, and he gets like tromped back and then there's like more because he goes further with the gas and you see Oates like crushed into the seat and he goes, holy shit. Yeah. And he just screams. <laughs> and he looks over at James Taylor and, or no, he leans out the window and he's screaming at Dennis, <laughs> the mechanic and he's like, come on, you can do it. Give it, man, give it. And the car's just fading and fading and fading as this fucking 55 Chevy is rocket shipping just, down yeah. the street at like, and you can see like he, he like settles down because the car's not slowing down. He's like, it can just do this forever. It's always going to go this fast. And he looks over at James Taylor and he goes, what are you trying to do? Blow my mind. That is my favorite GTO line because you being in that authentic space being in that mm-hmm. that 55 that gto what an impressive machine's been talking the whole movie about like unparalleled in american engineering well yeah you've never seen yeah, you've never, never seen two americans in a garage put their mind towards a car because now you're seeing what a car is yeah that holy shit is everything absolutely you could just take that clip and get a pretty decent idea yep. of what this movie's about and i love that what are you, what are you trying to do blow my mind man like you can't you can't show me what the real highs feel like because now all the fake highs that I have to go back to aren't going to cut gonna it pale, anymore. They're going to pale, bud. Yeah. I you love just, that. You just fucked up. Oh, God. I just, I absolutely, that moment when that, and eventually it gets to a point where the GTO is like not even on screen anymore. Oh, no. And God. at a, a couple points, Oates like turns all the way around <laughs> in the go? seat to look back. He's like, where in the fuck is my car? Cause that's about sh- a mile back. Dude, because... And, and the best part is that James Taylor's face the whole time. There's there's one moment. It's when Oates is like, holy shit. You can see. We talked earlier about like what would it, what, how good would 10 seconds have to be for you to sacrifice 24 hours and 50 seconds of your life mm-hmm. or 23 hours and 50 seconds of your life 
to pay the price for that 10 seconds of life. And when I, God damn it, in this moment when James Taylor's driving that car and you see just the ghost of a smile on his mm-hmm. lips when he hears Oates losing his fucking mind. He's like, <laughs> I can't believe how goddamn fast this car is. And James Taylor's, his non, his no line, his no dialogue, just his smile says everything. And yeah. that smile is That's you goddamn right it is. You know, it's, it's, he's alive, dude. You see James Taylor living for like 10 fucking seconds and you're like, you're like, this is it. The next time we see it is when he slides that window closed and the world goes silent at the very end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Chills, dude. Mm-hmm. Fucking chills. Mm. Um, Oates drinking heavily in the car. Trap. Of, oh, look at that! I had that note already. The trap of madmen. It's part of the machismo thing. We're presented here so raw in its ugliness and embarrassment. Um, so then we get to we get to the bit where they that basically they get to a shop, but the shop is closed because yeah. they got there really early. Oates is nervous because Dennis is making him nervous because he's stealing plates off cars and shit. He's like, why? I get are you- real nervous this part of the country. Don't yeah. get pulled over here. Not be a stranger. Hey, hey, man, you know where I can get me a plate? And you're like, don't just be asking people that. Because <laughs> that's, first of all, criminal. <laughs> but that's 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 having no experience in real mm-hmm. like underground road racing. That's yeah, weird. Quick sidebar. I was at the winery the other day, the day after having seen Tulane Blacktop. And a customer came in with it. I shit you not. It was so eerie that it like gave me like goosebumps. A customer came in with like, it was a, a, a husband and wife mm-hmm. and the wife had on a, a long black jean jacket and on the back was a patch that was um, two muscle cars, like old school lead yeah. sled, like forties muscle cars. Oh, shit. Um, the back ends of them aiming down towards a sunset and it said, support your local street racing. And I was like, what are the fucking odds? I've never seen a t-shirt or anything ever advocating or supporting street racing. And the day after I watched Tulane Blacktop, jean jacket, like throwback. Mm. Ch- I don't know, dude. Universe something. The, and the, I mean, the husband had like a Harley jacket on, you know. Fair. So they were like, they were clearly like that kind of couple. But I'm like, why didn't, why not another, why Harley, not another jacket? Harley jacket? You know, like, what why was it a about? street race? Mm. It was, I, dude, got, I dig that, man. I got That's the so goosebumpies cool. so bad. I was like, can I have that table? <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go and say hi. Um, hey, hey guys, you ever you ever, ever watch Two hey, Black? I just, I just saw Two Lane Black Top. I think it was really cool. I think of Fifty Five Chevy versus a GTO. Oh, Who would win? I mean, in the quarter mile, it's pretty obvious. Oh, but it's really like, so yeah, we'd like the Kerner. Um, is a flight four? <laughs> oh, you, is it pronounced Kerner? Is it Kerner? No, this is, these are this is a Harley couple. They're Kerner. Like, yeah, any domestics? <laughs> <laughs> this is a winery. Winery man. All right, I'll take, I'll a, take a rum heavy. and coke. <laughs> So you deal with this at oh, your place yeah, too. Absolutely. Okay. That's my favorite. It's like I'll just have a just a Manhattan. I would love to I be love able that. to. I can't even do bottle service. Yeah, here like I, her winery. <laughs> this is it's a winery. What are they drinking? Is that a beer? Cider. 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 It's an ounce and a half of cider. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's in a pint glass. Yeah, it comes in pints. It's uh, Ingalls Ransom's good. You'd like that one. <laughs> It is no fucking shit. good, though. Yeah, I picked it for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so after they, after Dennis or after uh, Oates passes out in his car from just drinking the wet bar oh dry, he, he falls asleep in front of the car he's trying to rip the plate off of. Yeah, and they pull him back into, into his, his car. car, and then the mechanic, again, like weirdly, they do set him back because yep. he's hammered drunk, but he did that to himself. They just saved his ass. Sure did. And they drop him off in the middle of nowhere, and then there's this gorgeous shot 
actually it's before they drop him off in the middle of nowhere it's after the girl bails because she's bored remember she's like this is she's done I've and had it and the driver realizes she's gone so he jumps in the 55 pulls out and there's this Oh man, I almost got teary just now. It's the it's probably more the bourbon than the sure. shot. But it, th- dude, that Chevy driving away from us down that tree lined lane mm, is beautiful. One, it's beautiful, dude. And then when the driver picks up the girl to bring her back, that's the first time in the whole movie that the girl sits in the front seat. Mm-hmm. And it felt like there's a little mini subplot here where the driver and the girl start to bond just a little. Mm-hmm. And it almost feels in a way like the driver trying to to figure out what a human connection could could be. Yeah. And he picks the girl up, lets her sit in the front seat, and then um he t- he teaches her to drive, which is like she but kind of <laughs> they give up cuz she grinding the shit out of those gears. She stalls but it. Well, I mean, dude, and the- he has as much patience as much patience as he could possibly tell me muster. one person who didn't drop the clutch and stall the. Geo I'm surprised <laughs> my dad. My dad taught me how to drive stick, and I prefer it. It's hard to buy a car with a fucking manual transmission anymore. Yeah, you can't find them anymore. But like, there's a lot of grinding and a lot of hopping, and it takes a lot of patience to teach someone how to drive a manual. And it is scary to feel a multi-thousand-pound vehicle bucking like a horse because yep. that when you drop the clutch too quick, and it, that's what happens. It rent. It, that's a lot of power doing the thing that you don't want it to be doing. Go, yeah, it's going out of control, going off and, the chain, yeah. and then you stall, and then you're like, I broke it. And yep. They're like, No, you. And the most one it. of the most horrible sounds. It's that grinding of a of missing a, a gear because you didn't clutch enough. It's, it's just, gr- yeah, because you're like terrifying. I just, just broke it. I broke it. Yep. I broke it's broken. And you're like, well, over over time, second. But now I don't out, even but... have to clutch to shift. So like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's there's that's another thing that's there's something very tactile and intimate. I, I can kind of understand why some why nowadays it's less common for people to like get involved with their cars. There's something about having too smooth a ride. I know this sounds counterintuitive to people, but when your ride is too smooth, when you can't feel the engine in your feet, you know, mm-hmm. or when you are not, there's something about a gear shift. I don't know about you, but when I drive a stick, even if I'm like just cruising in second or I've got it pulled down into fourth, I'll rest, just leave my hand yeah, on the stick. I, always. Just cruising, cruising with the hand well, on the stick. You feel the you mechanism can, working. You can feel it wiggle, even in neutral when you're stopped and you just keep your hand on that thing. You can... You can, the engine, what do they call it on a cell phone? Haptics? Haptic feedback. Where like you can feel your phone kind of like click against That's you. That's the reason haptic feedback is on your phone. You, you're feeling the mechanism doing the thing. It's, it's a very you, important response. Right. It's tying you to your device in a way. Whereas mm-hmm. back in the day, with or not even back in the day, with when you're in a stick shift, when you're driving a manual, like your car... This sounds strange. And I'm not a car guy, but I like driving a stick because I learned when I was young. Your car talks back to you. And you really have a sense of what's going on with your vehicle that you don't have in an automatic. Yeah. At all. Like I feel less in control. I would one ninety nine times out of a hundred. Now look, if I'm in like a really hilly town that I'm not familiar with, I prefer an automatic because look, driving up hills in a stick with stoplights halfway up the hill, that sucks a lot. Yeah, even when you're real, real, real good at it. Yeah. You gotta you gotta get off that clutch and on the gas real fast. Oh dude, I I always e brake the sucker. I get her yeah. in, I get her in first and put the clutch in and then I get her going, get her going, and there then we go. let the e brake out because otherwise you're stalling and you're rolling backwards. 
I always love seeing those stickers. Like I'm in a stick, so if you're within six feet of me, I might hit I you might with a stoplight. You, yeah. <laughs> you're like, I get you. I, I, I give them you. give them leeway, dude. It's hard. It's hard sticking on a hill. But uh, but yeah, like watching her try to learn to drive stick. First of all, you get the fun flashbacks of like, hey, yeah, I remember that shit. She's about as shitty as I was when I first started. But then there's there's kind of that cool moment where he runs her through the gears, kind of teaching her the gears, and he goes, you got first, second. Here's third. You'll never use it, but here's fourth. Because why, man? Third is like third's where the power is at, especially in like a four speed. But um, that wiggle, and this is neutral, and and then their hands come still, but his hand stays on her hand on the guard shift, on the gear shift. Pause, big long pause. This is neutral. They're in a liminal space. Mm -hmm. This is neutral. This is neutral. And neutral is the nothing gear from which all other gears are possible. And where's he going to shift to next? Are we going to go forward? No. And yeah. here's reverse. Yep. Beautiful, dude. Mm-hmm. Beautiful writing. Excellent performance. Honestly, from both of them. Two, again, non-actors. This is her first film. And this is James Taylor trying to act. It's a great Good. moment. It's a great moment. And then are we playing game? I don't know yet. Outstanding, man. Um... Oh, bird. Uh, bird wants. Oh, uh, when she uh, bird bird watched chunks of this movie with me. I just got to a note and I was like, bird is in this. Um, but bird was watching this and it's she can't drive, so she gives up. She's like, I I can't do, can't this. do this. This is too much. Can you imagine trying to learn on a fucking car that powerful? No, too? no, fuck no, dude. I know, Are you kidding like, me? It's like, all right, let the couch clutch out slow, and you're you like, rest your foot on the pedal, and you're at like ten thousand RPMs, <laughs> yes, like nine hundred horsepower. Yeah. You're like, we're, we're gonna. That's s- too much muscle. Um, hey, look, a VW Bug. Let's see if they'll let me learn on that. That's more my speed. Yeah, yeah. thanks a bunch. Um, but like, uh. When she she like reaches over and grabs him and they like kiss and she goes I can do I can do this bird bird reaches over pauses the movie and looks at me and she goes it's true a man is easier to drive in their car <laughs> fair fair oh um driver so uh getting in so he he does bring the girl back and mm-hmm. that's when they find out that Warren Oates has passed the fuck out they get him in his car and I thought it was a really cool detail because every time the driver gets into the 55 Chevy he reaches in through the window to pop the door handle because there's no door handle on the outside because it's drag because it's a drag so he when he gets into the GTO even though that handles there he, he still does the same window yeah how else is he gonna open a door absolutely and I wrote I wrote down um, muscle memory like that capital T capital D true driver it's outstanding um what do you think of the girl going over and when they're in the like diner bar mm-hmm. area she when she walks over to the grind against that pinball machine singing I can't get no satisfaction yeah well she's at the point where that's exactly <laughs> correct like she can't get none of the none of the none of the boys are having the mechanic she tried didn't work that they almost had a moment they with got her, a little a little but th- nothing fling. yeah nothing more happened there she she's generally genuinely and generally speaking sure. bored by the driver they had a moment that doesn't work right she sat in gto's car but that didn't really work so she's just she's in the space where she she can't get any satisfaction either from any sort of real interpersonal connection with any of these people 
or the or the lifestyle that they have chosen. And you, she's and and she tried the hippie thing and that didn't work. Well, she's like that's what I wanted to bring up is the hippie thing. Do you think that because we see her kind of go on these I'm gonna call them trips again, mm-hmm. and I think what she keeps running into is she's excited by that like surface yeah the absolutely. surface attributes which like for the for the the driver fast car drag race yep. rumble rumble life of adventure mechanics very attractive and totally good with his hands in the gto car that guy's got some money he's got some good tunes yep. but she's an older guy that has a right. bit of money maybe and, yeah. and then with the hippie thing it's like oh yeah there's some drugs and we're gonna go across the country we're gonna go to the grand canyon yeah. Love, yeah. and i think what she what she keeps bumping into is She's finding that even in the case of the driver and the mechanic, there, it's like even that which I've been talking about is like authentic and true and honest, is kind of surface. Mm-hmm. There's like well, it's important to mention too that she's fourteen, fifteen years old. Right, right. Like she, she's, I mean, she, it, oh, she's, you don't even know at that age like what what you're after. Like you you run away from from home when you're in middle school or right. a freshman in high school. You find yourself on the road with strangers you don't know what the fuck you're you're after anyway like i think that i think that part of what it's like she's trying to find like the meaning of life mm-hmm. or something you know like what is what will fulfill me deeply and in multiple directions right and with the car guys it's just cars with the hippie guys it's just drugs and sex and it's it's all like there's a weird myopia to all of them where like mm-hmm. they can't ever see beyond today and she keeps looking down the road and she's not seeing anything coming that she's interested right. in. So she just keeps trying to catch a ride to somewhere that's going to make her happy. And that in itself, that kind of wanderlust thing by the end is revealed to also be sort of like a, a trap all its own. Absolutely. Well, she has to let go of everything that she has to get on the back of that. Like you said, she puts her baggage she down. Puts her baggage down. Yeah. It's man. It's crazy. So right around this point is where the movie blows apart. Mm-hmm. After they get together and have a drink and they help out Warren Oates and they, all right, well now we got to let's get back on the road. Well, we don't have enough money. We got to get into another drag race. So, okay, interesting. The forward momentum of the film kind of stops here. Yeah. But that's one of the things I like. There's a there's a moment in Easy Rider where the same thing happens. The first time I fell asleep and had to roll it back was just after the diner where she plays pinball. Right. Is well, that's the first time I realized that I had missed 20 minutes and had to roll it back. I fell asleep. Yeah, well, this first, is the first through, on the first watch. On the first watch that yeah. happened. So, in Easy Rider, there's a similar moment where like they get caught up in Jack Nicholson's troubles and then they decide to rather than going west they're going to detour down to New Orleans yep. and then there's like 10 minutes of them in a graveyard being like Kyrie it is a strange well it derails the whole movie for 10 minutes and but but meaningfully so because it's derailed Peter Fonda and and right. Dennis it's Hopper's trip across plot. America yeah. right like the fact that We've got this goal, man, and then it fizzles out. It's the same thing as we're going to the Grand Canyon, man. Well, I gotta pull I'm over. High, I'm too high, over. bro. And you never get there. And in Tulane Blacktop, like this is a this is a movie about two cars racing to Washington D.C. We never get to D.C. Mm-mm. We don't even get close to D.C. Not even close. Not even fucking close. The furthest that the '55 Chevy's gonna make it is Tennessee. That's as far as That's they get. Because right. they they talk to that guy. I think it's really interesting that there's a that diner that they stop in because they're like, we need some food. We got to get some gas. They go in and on the wall behind James Taylor is a no dancing sign. And that dude comes over and sits down because they've got long hair. 
You know, they got that yep. kind of like long hair and Dennis has got the sideburns and he sits down and he goes, where are you guys headed? And they're like, Tennessee, Tennessee. That's a piss poor state. If I ever heard one, oh y'all ain't hippies, is ya? <laughs> You're like, holy shit. Where are they? Oh my God. Um, and then, oh, ma- narrow miss of the wreck in the road. I don't remember that. Oh, it's when they split the, there's oh, a wreck in the middle of the yeah, road. Yeah. And, they and the one car goes like off into the yeah. fucking field. Yep. Right, right, right. Okay. I do remember this now. Um, but I like the, and it's shortly after this, that GTO picks up the hippie and that's when he goes, stop the car. I want off of this machine. Um, t- Oh my god! So he picks up the hippie, and the the hippie's giving him shit. Meanwhile, the fifty five Chevy's trying to find a drag race to make yep. some cash, but the GTO's still rolling on. He picks up that hippie, and he's like, "Man, I bought this cool car, and it's my cool car." And the hippie criticizes him for it. Yeah, he's like, "That's not really my scene, man. I don't care that much about cars." And he's like, "Yeah, well, well," and he starts to like bluster and yell at him. And the hippie's like, "Stop the car and let me out, dude. I want off of this machine." So this. This next bit, I, I wrote down all every single line of dialogue from the next scene. Lovely. He picks up an old woman and a young girl. And I think this is one of the coolest scenes structurally. And I also think it's one of the most well-written because he it starts comedic. Because he just had a bad... Right. He just had a bad experience with it, like this greasy hippie guy. So he's like gonna, He didn't want to have anything to do with my stories. Hey, fresh start. Let's go. And and his fresh start is like, all right, okay, who, who am I safe with? Oh, okay. A, old woman? A nice old woman and her young and her granddaughter, granddaughter or whoever, yeah. This will be a nice American cherry pie conversation. <laughs> and she gets in and I'll read... I have the whole thing. Oh, so I'll read it. you the thing. So they get in. And she, I'll try and do her voice too, because dude, some of, some of the way she pronounces things, 10 mile on, that is not even close to 10 mile on. 10 mile on. You're like, I, well, what the fuck did you say? Subtitles. 10 mile on. That's what that was supposed to be, eh? All Perfect. right. So where, where are you headed, miss? And he's, he's, you can see him like put on the like, I'm just a white blooded or red blooded American man. I'm going to help this old woman. I'm a boy scout. And she goes, going to pine grow 10 mile on. Going to the graveyard. Glad to help you out, ma'am. Going to the graveyard. Her folks buried there. Both of them. Killed on Saturday night. Long pause. (laughs) And you're like, this is is fucking hilarious. (laughs) So it starts like so funny because she's expecting to like pick up like, oh, where? Grocery store is it? And she's like, Going, going to, to the, the graveyard. graveyard. And I love to, like, glad to help you out, ma'am. And her repeating going to the graveyard is like, you think that, you think this is like a kind favor? I'm going to mourn the loss of them. Like, both her parents. Yeah, both her parents Saturday. And there's this long pause after she goes killed on Saturday night. Big long pause. They cut to Warren Oates. And she go and off screen, she says, out of state, him. Yeah. You're out of you're not from around here and he goes, "Well, yes, ma'am, I'm driving through to Florida." Here he starts his bullshit fucking story. And it's uh it's about his it's about something nice he's doing for an old lady. What a fucking snake, dude. It's so wild. "Well, yes, ma'am, I'm driving through to Florida. I bought my mother a house down in St. Petersburg and I want to get down there and fix it up before she gets there." City car. She doesn't give a shit about mm-hmm. what he just said. Mm-hmm. Well, it could be a city car or a country car, ma'am. Folks all over have them, you know. City cars, what killed them? Oh, I'm I'm sorry, ma'am. 
City call is what killed him. Holy shit. <laughs> oh my God, dude. It's poetry. Mm-hmm. That scene is... St- st- and that's not much dialogue. No. Man. It's like, what, five five lines back it's and some forth? some of the most dialogue in one scene. Yeah, that's a, most of the talking in the movie is like the old lady just like r- roasting Warren Oates. The, and I, I wrote down, okay, so here's my note. I said it's poetry. It's brutal and stark and American as all hell. The structure of the scene shifting from humor. The graveyard. What a bummer expecting this normal old lady after those dirty hippies to this sorrow bleak and bitter of some out-of-state weekend warrior and you get the sense that the 55 chevy that is not a city car oh no that old lady sees that car and that's something else maybe she doesn't approve of that either maybe that's road racers maybe that's greasers or punk kids Mm -hmm. or motorheads but it's not a city car Warren Oates and his GTO is an out of out of of town out of state city city car. car This is a weekend warrior. They come down and they rip around in these cars that they, they really don't, parents. and they kill parents. And it's it's like an ice pick in the heart of the movie, dude. It's wild because there's moments in here like the drinking too. There's mm-hmm. moments in here where the movie, I think it's to Heller uh, to Hellman's credit that he like he can he can play those strings where you're like oh nostalgia romance and I love it, mm-hmm. and then and then he'll be like and now we drain the bath. Yeah. And you're just left with the scum. The film, yeah. yeah. And you're like, Fuck. not the film as a tick, 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 the film, but scum. also both. But both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I love that. And then we drive her all the way to the fucking cemetery. They go to the they graveyard, mm-hmm. and Warren Oates gets out of the car. It's a gorgeous move because you you realize you're like, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. He's in an inter, he's in a cross country road race. Where's the fifty five Chevy? Isn't he driving? He stops and gets out and stands at the at the graveyard gates and looks in and we have this beautiful dude more editing. We have this beautiful match cut shot of the graveyard and all the headstones, tons of headstones and the old woman like and the daughter and the granddaughter stand by this one grave and they stay there. And we cut to waiting race cars in exactly the same Line up as this graveyard tombstones. You have a field of tombstones, and then you cut to a field of cars, and the metaphor could not be more clear. We're looking at dead men. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. Oh it's unbelievable, dude. It's it's chills and it's like accolades and it's like what in the fuck? This movie is way better than it should be for eight hundred fifty thousand dollars and three leads who've never acted before. What Jesus. are you even? In your ass talking to me. <laughs> I don't even know how to how to be like. There's no expletive strong enough for how fucking Not enough good. accolades, man. It's <laughs> um, and this is we talked about this in part one, but this is the road race where um where the girl gets bored with the cars. Yep. She's like, what? And it's like hey. she realized she's had it. There's no, there is no satisfaction. Nothing. She's done. Bored. It's, completely it's, checked out. What's that it. one we watched? Uh, yeah, um. Mad, 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 yes. mad, 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 world. Stunt reel. Yes, it's, it's it's that thing that happened in Mad, Mad World where they show you so much stunt work that you start to get bored with it. Mm-hmm. Where you're like, okay, holy checked out. It's which sucks because you're like, yeah, I'm seeing incredible shit, and everyone on screen is risking their life. You're like, you're like, any one of these people could have died. But after but, the fifth near miss, you're like, I kind of don't give a shit. Yeah, it's three. It's like a three hour movie, and I've watched like nine straight minutes of people like crashing car. I get it. You're crashing your car. It's like fucked up. I get it. 
Wow. But like watching that many races like back to back and here's some more engines. Here's some more. Look at the smoke. Everyone's and all the it's all men all looking at like each other's engines and touching cars and kicking tires. And then you keep cutting back to the girl sitting there like picking her nails Mm -hmm. and like. It's beautiful because it's the shit that you've been watching the whole movie for. And now that you're seeing it, finally, it's so dull. It's intentionally dull. And it just beautifully reinforces that all of what you're seeing is is becoming this weird, like, gross, boring, niche thing. And you you realize that you don't like the rumble of cars as much as you thought you did. And you just wish something would happen. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's like you said, this is why you're here. For this shit, and it's right. now boring and kind of senseless. You came here for the road races, yeah. and now the road races. The movie's called Two Lame Blacktop, and now you're you don't care as much anymore. You wish you'd get away, get the fuck away from mm-hmm. the stupid Two Lane Blacktop, and just like, can we can we go back to what we were doing? Right. It's and it sounds dumb because you're it like plays so well because yes! you are bored. Yeah, you're like this boring part of this movie happens, and everyone, all the listeners, are like, "Wow, I'm glad I missed that one." I'm like, no, no, "No, no, 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 the no, boring no. is the point, and it's so good because again, it's that weird Laurie Bird thing where like just not just being on screen kind of sells the moment. Mm-hmm. And then she's in the car; she gets in the car because they have to. They're trying to make money, so they lined up a drag race. She's sitting in the back with the tools and the tires, and James Taylor gets in the car. And Dennis Wilson gets in the car and no one says anything. The car's not moving, just parked. This is just where they're meeting up. And Dennis Wilson's looking out the front window. And the driver goes, I put up the tools against 300 because they're out of money. Yep. They're trying to remake the stake that they started the film with. They're just trying to get back to where they started at this point. And he put up the tools against 300. If they lose this race, they don't have it, they don't have a car anymore. And Dennis goes, or, uh, the mechanic goes, I got to check the valves. And he gets out of the car. And then the driver sits for a second. And the driver gets out of the car. And neither of them said a word to the girl. Nope. And the girl didn't say a word to either of them. It's fucked up, dude. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful moment. There's only two lines of dialogue. I put up 300 against the tools. I got to check the valves. That's the whole scene. And it's like, it's like two or three minutes of just this interior of this car with two lines of dialogue. And you're like, oh, this trip is over. It's done. The girl is out. And however this race shapes up, we are not ever going to be where we were when we started this movie. And this is where the melancholy starts to set in. And you almost hate it because you just want it to be a Tom Waits song forever. But Exactly. Because it kind of is that for a while. For a long time, yeah. It's like this this pay-on to, you know... And there's uh, what makes it so... Sudden in what does become so melancholy too is there's no like big event that causes it. There's no like, there's no fight where someone's feelings get hurt. There's no conversation about maybe this isn't working out. It's just this suddenly understood thing between these three people that it's just over oh, now. Yeah. It's fucking wild. It's super fucking wild. And she splits. Yeah. She bails. It's and incredible. Uh, he, uh, he wins there's one more race after this Mm -hmm. he wins this one and then he starts trying to catch up because she she leaves with the gto guy yep she gets in with him and they roll out and then uh the the driver and the mechanic are trying to catch up to the gto because unspoken but understood is the driver wants the girl back 
Mm-hmm. He just has not been able to express this. And there is a weird like subtext of possessiveness yeah. there where it's like, you know, well, she's she's mine, man. She got in my car. She chose me. And now he's chasing her down. And you're like, well, part this is kind of antithetical because you were you were free, you were going nowhere. Now you got a place. Now you got something to go after, and right. it's costing you mm-hmm. in a weird way because you've compromised something. You're trying to gain something, but it's costing you everything that you had before that. And the aggressive driving. This is really good stunt driving in this movie too, even though you don't see a lot of like. There's not a lot of it, but what's here is exceptional. Very good. Yeah, like him, he's driving like full speed, and this is when Dennis is like. Um, Hey man, slow down! You're gonna kill us. And he's just he's just passing cars on straightaways, like kicking it down to second and shit. You can hear him like downshifting and just roaring on curves, like mm. doubled yellow line curves, to try and catch up to the GTO and the girl. And um, I said, "Who saw this tonal shift coming? This sudden, strange, terrible violence, this feeling of dread and sudden hopelessness." This to me has all the hallmarks of like a, a Jim Jarmusch or David Lynch movie where you f- you understand the movie and you feel everything and everything's feeling fine and then <laughs> that fucking but like nothing yeah. you can point to changes. It's like it's something really small. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, there wasn't there wasn't any like conversation or event. There's that no big blowout big... moment. It's just all of a sudden but you're suddenly you realize everything is different. It's it's a deep and masterful level of filmmaking that becomes unnoticeable. And it makes the emotional journey really unusual. It's what most filmmakers get wrong. Yeah, it's what most filmmakers are aiming at. Right. And like a couple of people, like Ari Aster, Jim Jarmusch, David Lynch, Jordan Peele does it really well in Get Out, that mm-hmm. like subtle shift where you're like, okay, I mean, why do I feel so weird? <laughs> why am I just... <laughs> what time is it? Yeah, what time is it? 2.30. Oh, my alarm will go off any second. Um, so... Shit. He pulls up. It's fine. We can. We'll burn the last couple notes and get out of here because this. We're because that's what we'll do. Cool. Um, <laughs> let me turn off my alarm so it doesn't freak out the listener. Listener, I have to go to work. I'm so sorry. You should watch this movie. Um, the thing that I know, I finally figured out what the whole like thing is. Is they they do catch up to them at the restaurant at the diner. Yep. And uh, he comes in. The driver and the mechanic come in and GTO and the girl are sitting at a table and the driver and the mechanic sit down like You thought you could get away from us, but now here's our pitch. We're gonna win you back and the girl She doesn't smile. She just looks at him like I can't believe you came all this way to get me back because I'm not yours to have Yeah, exactly and the driver goes All right, you know what? Scrap everything we've said. We'll go to Chicago We'll go to Chicago and we'll do that and the girl says Oh no, I'm sorry. It's the it's uh it's GTO that says we'll go to Chicago. I got yeah. good buddies in Chicago, and she the girl goes, I don't want to go to Chicago, and GTO goes, that's cool. Then we'll check out New York, and I realized what's going on. Nobody has ever asked, asked her, her what, what she, she wants, wants to, to do. do. Yeah. Everyone else is calling the shots and expecting her to ride along. Yep. And that's that is why she's bailing out of these people. Is she? They've these people. No one gives a fuck to even no, ask her. All of the men in her life have just completely removed her agency. Even the hippie guy. We're gonna go to the Grand Canyon, and then he doesn't deliver. We're gonna live a life of racing, and then we're gonna go to Chicago, and then we're gonna go to Florida. I got friends in New York. No one even once was like, "Hey, what's your trip about? What do you want to do?" Mm-hmm. No one's giving her the any agency at all. And I think it's really cool for a movie in 71 where 
they the ultimate the the ultimate end of all of this is she just keeps dumping them. Yeah. She's like, no, you're not. None of you care a fucking wit about me. She I'm, doesn't stick around. She fucking gets out. She's like, just. She's just. She's just another thing to put in the trunk of the car, you know, <sighs> to pull out when the, you need it. Yeah. Right. It's it's a rough way to live. Um. <laughs> you know, you passed him five miles back. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually pretty funny. Um, the girl leaves her bag and jumps on the motorcycle, and then here, there's there's two uh, last two things sure. I want to talk about. One is when uh, Warren Oates picks up the soldiers and he's driving. I wrote down his whole monologue, and he said, "It's after he's like, I'm in an I'm in a cross country road race, race. yeah, and I won this car from a couple boys who dogged me across three states. I was driving a '55 Chevy. I was driving a '55 Chevy, and he co-ops." their fucking yesteryear yeah yeah into his he folds their myth into this continuing storytelling of america while they burn out somewhere in the background and all that's left of them is a lie which is amazing because it really reinforces that question that we asked at the top of the movie which is are we looking at an america that ever actually existed Mm -hmm. and it's 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 kind of that the it's almost meta it's almost a little bit liberty balance too it is very Liberty Valance. Go, cool, Carl. Good, good brain, buddy. Oh. Holy shit, is it like Liberty Val? It's this. It's that same fucking thing, dude. And with with the Sam Peckinpah connection, the the Western connection, it's very, it's very, very appropriate. Yeah. Excellent, dude. See, that's my fucking. I get dude. one per episode. <laughs> no, don't shortchange yourself. You're you're constantly just like my favorite thing about you is while I'm over here like pouring. <laughs> Pouring just like waves of words at you every once in a while, you lean in and be like, "And isn't that sort of like, um, like what what John Ford was trying to accomplish back in the fifties? Then you fade off, Mike, <laughs> and I'm just like, "Oh my God, it is." <laughs> <laughs> but so here's the end of Warren Oates' little um little monologue to these these guys, and this to me, like this this monologue alone, you can you can see. Why there's a Tom Waits review mm-hmm. of that movie in the front of the Criterion Collection. But I'll tell you one thing. There's nothing like building up an old automobile from scratch and wiping out one of these Detroit machines. That'll give you a set of emotions that'll stay with you. Know what I mean? Those satisfactions are permanent. But it's a lie. He just, yeah. Yeah, that's not even remotely true. He just straight fucking lied. What he's saying is absolutely true. Yes. this That's the f- most fucked thing about the characters. The sentiment is dead on. Like, dead. But it's hollow because he didn't have that experience. He regurgitated. Someone it, else's life experience. Yes. In a weird fucked up way, dude. It's like, it's almost like a metaphor for, like Hellman's movie is this. Yeah. Hellman is imagining what it would be like to be involved in a cross-country road race with these scrappy people who scrape together a car. But the thing you have to remember at the end of this, at the end of the film, when your credits roll, is this is a movie. Yeah. None, None of these of people happened. are real. This is all just what we imagine or what we hope or what we dream. We're watching fantasies. Mm-hmm. You know? And and I love that Warren Oates, who's the ultimate fantasist, the guy who's has no the reason I keep calling him Warren Oates is because otherwise I have to refer to his car. Yeah. He doesn't even fucking exist. GTO. That guy says the truest thing in the entire film, and that true thing that he says is a hundred percent a lie. Wild. Blow your mind type shit. And then at the very end, bro. 
the very end, I might not make it through this. We get um. You got this. Man. I know we got James Taylor sitting in his car, at the last drag race, trying to make his money, just trying to make his money so he can get back on the road, so he doesn't lose the pink slip, so he doesn't lose his car, so he doesn't lose his life. And he looks out the window and he sees this beautiful pastoral hillside, this grassy hillside with cows grazing on it, and he can hear that. He doesn't hear the he hears you hear some engines, mm-hmm. but you also hear the wind, and you hear some trees, and you hear you hear the engines and shit. But you can also hear what's happening outside. Yeah. And he looks out the window for a long time at those cows and at that pastoral scene and at at America. You know, we've for as much of this of the country as we've crossed, most of what we see is the cars and the street. We're mm-hmm. not looking at the countryside. And at the very end, on this two lane blacktop, on this sort of like sterile double lane black paved mar on this beautiful country he looks out and sees the country for the first time and that he you can see him like almost like i could go i could just go Mm -hmm. but he's the driver so he reaches up and he slides his window shut it's not a roll-up window because this is a drag car exactly that is that's an important detail because this isn't like a crank up the grocery getter. No, no. He's put blood into this vehicle. And he slides that window shut. And as soon as it snaps shut, silence. No rumbling of engines. No wind. So fucking nothing. brilliant. There is, once that window is shut, this is the first time we've seen inside the car during a drag too. This is the first time we've seen what these 10 seconds look like to James Taylor. This is what he lives for, and this is the first time we're going to get to see it. We got a flash earlier when he put the pedal down just Mm -hmm. to spook Warren Oates, but we're about to see what he's paid all of this price for. And it's this moment of serene silence with nothing in front of you but the open road, bro. So funny. And then then that fucking, the, the flag goes down, the light turns green, and he puts the hammer down, and there's no sound at all. At all. It's just him in the car, in the road, and we never see his opponent. There's no competitor. No, it's you, just your... Talk about tension, dude, because he's roaring down. You know the stakes, and you know the car's to his left, and you keep waiting to see the nose. You keep waiting to see that fucking nose, but it never comes. It never comes. It's, he's still ahead. He's still ahead, and he's racing, man, and you just want to know how it ends. And You, you can see the finish line coming up, man. Fucking is there... I, I still can't see the nose of that car. And the center cannot hold... And the fucking film straight just melts. (laughs) The movie melts and burns. And it's the most, it is the most brilliant ending I've, it's Richard Linklater, what do you call it? The most cinematic ending of all time Mm -hmm. because it acknowledges that it's a film. That it's a film. And David Lyncher does, David Lyncher, David Fincher does the same thing in Fight Club where he lets the real spool off and cuts some porn in just to kind of like show you like, yeah, you're watching the fight. And it's interesting that he does that too because we talked earlier about how most people don't realize that Fight Club is critiquing what right. it's about and by showing that it's a film it says this was all a fantasy don't take this too seriously you just watched a movie. This to me I read a couple different ways which is he drove James Taylor drove so fast that he drove out of the movie. Yeah. He drove completely out of the world. The the medium of film could not contain the intensity of what that moment was for him. That's why we don't hear the sound, and that's why we don't see the end. Is it's too much to. We have no context hold, for that yeah. peak, so we can't bear the heat of it. 
and it burns the film away and we can't see it but also it reinforces that all of this was a fantasy yeah none of this was real you know and whatever emotions you're feeling whatever romanticism or longing that you're feeling is founded on celluloid and it melts away and we're left with nothing but those satisfactions are permanent well we just saw what it's fragile too yeah it doesn't it doesn't doesn't take much it doesn't yeah it can't go on forever it is by definition finite it's a film you know it's it's gorgeous dude it's the type of ending to a film that will leave no breath in your body Mm -hmm. it's it's outstanding and that is Tulane Blacktop we did it. All right. So, having done a two-parter episode, almost four hours, have what are you thinking? Oh, I, I still sit in the same place, man. I I do dig the movie. I'm, I I want to see it again a third time. Mm-hmm. And I think we should do this we as should a screening do it as a for screening. Colin Filmies. Absolutely, definitely. At maybe an early one, you know, yeah. like kind of like let's do some film school stuff because you by the and end then of the do night, the schlocky bullshit towards the end. Dude, so, for but sure. yeah, we do this movie one, movie two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Oh, dude, such a fun conversation. I told Bird in between episodes while you were out, I was like, ah, oh, man, I just feel like I'm just shouting like like my love at Carl. No, like, it's I... all good. That's what I'm here for. Right. On, the, on episodes like this, this is what this is why what I sign up for and why I love doing the show. It's just like movies that you you find part of your DNA in and yeah. have this amount of passion for is. You know, this is why I consider myself extremely lucky because I, if I were just listening to the show mm-hmm. as a, you know, as a listener, sure, I would just be able to, I would just be hearing the conversation. But being a part of it is pretty fucking special. You can't see I the wide it. eyes and yeah. like me tearing up and like yeah. me gesticulating wildly with yeah. my hands the whole time. Yeah. It's, it's uh, I consider myself very lucky to be a part of that conversation. Dude, likewise, so, seeing yeah. you like, especially because. You're a little bit older than I am, so you have access to like context and right. memories, and er- you have like young memories of films that I only got to see when I was like 28 or yeah, 30. Yeah, yeah. So I get to, I get to hear what it was like for like young Carl to see Lethal Weapon and shit, and yeah. I'm like, like on VHS. Fuck yeah, yeah where and dude, I mean, just getting to know stuff about you, like yeah, how dude. many times you masturbated to show tunes, you know, show or showgirls. Show <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Sometimes do you- show tunes as well. <laughs> Man, when Phantom came out, no one heard shit like that before. I was like, ah. "It's that organ, bro." Yeah, you're like, "All right, I got an organ for you." Am I right? The chandelier's coming down. All right, Sarah Brightman hit that high E. I just every time hands free, baby. Yep. There. Now that we've fully Ooh. sullied an, an American classic, yep. um, listeners, I can't recommend it. I honestly can't recommend it highly enough. This was one of the better ones that I've seen in the last year. Tulane Blacktop Pre- Masterpiece. It rocked me. It rocked me. Um, but I do have to go to work, yeah, apparently. I gotta so, get out of your house. All right. Um, much love, listeners. Stay tuned. Uh, we're going to wrap up with, if you think you if you think we talked about a masterpiece today, there Just is, wait. There is one, left. one higher peak to this mountain. Ladies and gentlemen, It's it's easy to rent. It's not even that expensive. Ignore the rating. Ignore the the Rotten Tomatoes. Don't even look at Don't it. Don't even look at it. Just hit play on Maximum Overdrive. These trucks need more gasoline. <laughs>